Well, tonight we will be in the book of Judges, and we'll be reading all of chapter 14, uh, verses uh, 1 through 20 there. You can find our passage on page 214 in the Pew Bible. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Hear the word of the Lord. Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. But his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you must go take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. His father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord. For he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. Then Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah, and they came to the vineyards of Timnah. And behold, a young lion came toward him, roaring. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. And then he went down and talked with the woman, and she was right in Samson's eyes. After some days, he returned to take her, and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion and honey. He scraped it out into his, hand, he scraped it out into his hands and went on, eating as he went. And he came to his father and mother and gave them some, and they ate. But he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey from the carcass of the lion. His father went down and to the woman, and Samson prepared a feast there, for so the young men used to do. As soon as the people saw him, they brought thirty companions to be with him. And Samson said to him, said to them, Let me now put a riddle to you. If you can tell me what it is within the seven days of the feast and find it out, then I will give you thirty linen garments and thirty changes of clothes. But if you cannot tell me what it is, then you shall give me thirty linen garments and thirty changes of clothes. And they said to him, Put your riddle to us, that we may hear it. And he said to them, Out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. And in three days they could not solve the riddle. On the fourth day they said to Samson's wife, Entice your husband to tell us what the riddle is, lest we burn you in your father's house with fire. Have you invited us here to impoverish us? And Samson's wife wept over him and said, You only hate me. You do not love me. You have put a riddle to my people, and you have not told me what it is. And he said to her, Behold, I have not told my father nor my mother, and shall I tell you? She wept before him the seven days that their feast lasted. And on the seventh day he told her, because she pressed him hard. And then she told the riddle to her people. And the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, What is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, If you would not plow with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and he went down to Ashkelon and struck down thirty men in the town and took their spoil and gave the garments to those who had told the riddle. In hot anger, he went back to his father's house, and Samson's wife was given to his companion, who had been his best man. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. So, we love secrets, right? It's, uh, you know, secrets are exciting stuff. You get to find out what other people are hiding, 
Right? The, just the latest stuff over the last years is people dumping out emails and secret, secret government documents and all these things. And isn't it exciting that we learn these secrets? But we also learn that you know, it's, it's also important to know why people are hiding these things. Because some information are kind of like, well, that's not really that much of a secret. Okay, why? why? Um, uh, but, uh, uh, but what about the things that we like to keep secret? What about the things that we could try to keep secret from God? Or from others, how do these? How do our secrets factor into God's plans, or do they factor into His plans? Well, our text this evening is actually all about secrets. Secrets flow, are, are found throughout all through this text. Uh, we are told about a secret that God has, secret purpose that He has uh, for Samson, and then we're also told about several secrets that Samson has as well. And so we're going to look at each of those, and then we'll conclude tonight. Uh, by considering what this all teaches us about uh, God's secret deliverance of his people that he is working through Samson. But in verses 1 through 4, we, uh, we see uh, Yahweh's secret purpose revealed. But it begins not with Yahweh's purpose, which comes in verse 4, but rather with uh, what we can call Samson's eyes and his parents' distress in verses 1 through 3. Now, in this text, we're told five times that, uh, that Samson went down to Philistia, which speaks to Samson's overall direction and character. He seems to be drawn to Philistia, but for all the wrong reasons. At any rate, he went down to Timnah, which was about four to five miles uh, west of Samson's hometown, uh, and it is in the border of Philistia. And when he got there, he saw a pretty girl. And apparently he didn't talk to her. He just saw she was real pretty and that she was apparently single. And that was all he needed to know. And so he fell over head over heels, love at first sight. And, uh, and so he went back to his parents and let his dad know that he wanted that, that girl for his wife. And now in those days, marriages were arranged through the parents. They were often like business transactions. There was negotiations for the bride price and the dowry. And so there was a lot of uh, details that had to be worked out. And, uh, his, uh, but his parents, of course, object uh, because this girl belongs to the enemy. Uh, she is not of the covenant people of God. You know, there's 12 tribes. Can't you find a girl of one of those 12 tribes of the Israelites? And uh, Now, this is not, though, uh, a case of modern romance uh, where you have, uh, you know, a guy falling for, you know, for a noble girl from the wrong side of the tracks. Uh, this isn't, uh, you know, a tale of two star-crossed lovers. We're not reading Shakespeare here. Uh, but we are reading a tragedy uh, in, in, the, in the making uh, for Samson's parents as they see their son, the Nazarite, the one whom they had uh, rightly had divine expectations for, run after a woman he should not desire. And what uh, further confirms uh, Samson's uh, character here is how he uh, treats his father at the end there, where he just says, basically, get her for me. Do it. I want her. Why? Because she is right in my eyes. He says it again in verse 7. So here we have a foreshadowing, because there is a refrain that will come later. In the book of Judges, that, uh, that says, in those days, Israel did what was right in their own eyes. 
Israel had no king. So Samson is very much a judge's man. He is a a man of his time, uh, even though he is supposed to be their deliverer. Samson's eyes, we see, are actually revealing his heart. Indeed, Samson lived by the impulse of his eyes. It would would seem that it's only at the end of his life, after he would have lost his eyes, that he actually began to see. But but this is uh, certainly setting up sorrow for Samson uh, and sorrow for Samson's parents as as their son uh, makes these uh, hurtful decisions. Uh, But if only Samson's parents could know Yahweh's secret purpose that he reveals in verse 4. Joseph, who was sold into slavery by his brothers in the book of Genesis, at the end when they were worried that after their father died that he would uh, wreck his vengeance upon them, they came and they were kind of scheming to try to make sure that he was going to promise not to hurt them <laughs> once dad was dead. And, uh, and, he, and, and he stopped and he said, look, what you meant for evil, God meant for good and for the saving of many. Well, that is what is going on here for Samson. Samson is not noble. The narrator lets us know what is going on. God is using Samson's lust, his impulsiveness, even his disrespect for his parents to create an opportunity against the Philistines. Now, this uh, doesn't put Samson in the clear, although uh, many try uh, because of verse 4. Um, since it was God's purpose, they argue, it could, it, it could not have been wrong for Samson to argue this way. Um, but that's a very weak logic because by that logic, the Egyptians weren't wrong for mistreating the Israelites uh, or the Romans for crucifying Jesus. For these are also God's purpose. Uh, Simply because God has purposed something uh, doesn't mean that the thing in itself is uh, to be approved of. Because God is the only one in the universe, as Martin Luther said, uh, who can use sin sinlessly for his own glorious purposes. And I say all that because, again, some are determined to clean Samson up, to clean him up, And I don't think we need to sully him or make him worse than he is. Um, But they'll say, well, you know, and I've read this this week that, you know, well, technically, you know, he, you know, since they trace family lineage through the through the father, through the men, uh, technically you didn't have to uh, your wife didn't have to be an Israelite. I mean, after all, I mean, uh, what about Ruth? Ruth was from Moab. All right. Nobody likes Moab. And so, you know, we have a Moabitess, you've got, uh, you know, you have Tamar, sorry, yeah, well, you have Tamar, but, um, but you also have Rahab, the, the Canaanite prostitute, in, who's in the lineage of Christ. I mean, uh, I mean, that's, you know, it, uh, but that, you know, somebody married her, right? And th- th- we don't fault them for that. Uh, and certainly that's true. But three times in these opening verses, the narrator, once in, in verse 1 and verse 2 and verse 3, their narrator reminds us that this woman is a daughter of the Philistines. He does that in order to raise up, to highlight the moral problem with Samson. So what does Yahweh's purpose do for us here? 
then? If it doesn't, you know, clear Samson, uh, what does it do for us? Well, it shows us the very real uh, hope and comfort that lies in the sovereignty of God. It's, it, it, it makes, it gives a, and the sovereignty of God, in a sense, brings a very real comfort to us. When terrible things are happening and we can't make sense of them. And imagine his parents going like, what? how could he do this? We literally had an angel come visit us and fly up into heaven into the, into the fire. And now he wants to marry a Philistine. What's going on? Right? Lord, what's happening? It's especially true that we need this comfort when these things involve our children. Del Ralph Davis made this point on this passage that we have comfort here. A comfort here for every parent who has done their very best to raise their child in the Lord, only to have them turn their back on the faith and go their own way. Whatever terrible thing may be going on, we do not know what the purpose of God is in it. But we do know, because of the cross, because of the clear testimony of Scripture, that God works all things, even the distressing things, even the just, we don't know why this is here things. He works those for our good and for his glory. And so let us remember God's secret purpose for our good and his glory as we humble ourselves under his hand and we lay our anxieties at his feet. And we trust in him to bring the relief, and to bring the help, and to bring about the result at the end that he desires. And so we have God's secret purpose that is revealed here in verse 4. And then we move into the, the, the next major section of the text, uh, really the rest of the chapter. Uh, it has to do, deal with not with Yahweh's secret, but with Samson's secrets. Uh, picking up in verse 4. First we have... Uh, Samson's secret strength in verses 4 through 7. Samson is going down again to Philistia and, uh, and he found himself alone, even though he, he somewhere in the distance was uh, his, his parents, uh, but he found himself alone and face to face with a ravenous lion, something that would, none of us would want to be in that position. And the, the lion lunged, but we're also told so did the Spirit of the Lord. And we know who wins. That encounter. Now we'll continue to explore this, but I do uh, want to note here that uh, I, I don't think we are supposed to understand Samson as some muscle-bound meathead. I don't think that's, even though that's usually the picture that I get of Samson. They put a movie out, so it's like a B-level movie out uh, years ago called Samson. He's being a big, strong, you know, he's a piece of power lifter, and um, and. Uh, Samson's strength, though, is not because, you know, he didn't skip leg day and he's been taking his creatines, his creatine and juicing, all right? His strength uh, came from the Holy Spirit, who empowered him to do things that no human being would have the power to do, no matter how, how muscly they might be. His strength uh, came from God. It was supernatural. And you'll notice that the Spirit came upon him and what did not remain upon him but came upon him in the times when he would attack or get attacked. The Spirit of the Lord would come upon him. And, uh, and so now I'm not saying he's like some scrawny, you know, 
you know, little 90 pounds soaking wet either. Um, uh, he's probably just your average Israelite, honestly, is what I, what I would say. Um, but the Spirit of the Lord did rush upon Samson, and he tore the, the lion to pieces, apparently by the legs. It's usually by the hind legs is where you would tear a young goat. And, uh, and what we have really here is just a preview, a preview, uh, a sampling of God's power. The Lord is showing Samson, and he's showing us what he can do so that when the time comes, Samson will not fear uh, when, the, uh, when the time to actually fight Israel's enemies arises. And, and we find God doing a, 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 oftentimes a similar thing in our own lives. Now, we may not be tearing lions to pieces, uh, but God does send us these small assurances, these moments where we made it through something, a harrowing moment. Uh, uh, we, uh, we were pressed, and we all of a sudden we found the resources to, to meet the moment, whether it's in, in words, speech, or action. And here are these signs, these little assurances that God gives us saying, hey, I will help you. I will bless you. I will give you the help that you need. And so we ought to remember those comforts, that, that, which are meant to strengthen us for the challenges, the real challenges that we meet on the road. And so we, but we move from his secret strength to verses 8 and 9 and Samson's secret sin. After some time, Samson returned to take his wife in marriage. Uh, he wanted to uh, see what had become of the lion and said that he had killed. And so uh, he goes and looks. And to his surprise, he finds a hive of bees have taken up residence in the carcass. Now, it's very odd for us to, to, uh, to you know, very odd concept for us to think of bees taking up residence in, uh, in the carcass of a lion. But this actually was not unknown in that area to occur. I'm not saying it's common, but it was not unknown. And uh, which actually lends a little more credibility to the riddle that he drops in, uh, uh, later. Um, but, uh, uh, but this seems to be something that was known outside of this one occurrence in, in, uh, in, in the scriptures and in Samson, uh, for Samson. Uh, and, and now, now some, again, will argue that since the spirit of the Lord enabled Samson to kill the lion then what Samson does here really must not be a big deal. Uh, but the thing we need to understand is that what Samson does here would have been very offensive to any Israelite that was reading this text. All right, because uh, when I was in seminary, um, one of uh, one, my, my professors, we were studying this, uh, this section of the, of the Old Testament, um, and he was the... the the guy who was, oversaw the translation for the NIV for the Old Testament, that was my professor, and, and he said, and he was just like, look, um, you have to learn to read the Old Testament through Deuteronomy. He was like, every, every Israelite, because that's the law, and the Israelites, had, they know their Deuteronomy. They're supposed to read the book of the law. They're supposed to know the book of the law. They're supposed to memorize the book of the law. So, they're supposed to, and so these are things that they would know, and one of the things you know as an Israelite is that when you touch dead things, you become unclean. All right. Uh, so, uh, and for, but even more than just some ceremonial uncleanness, you could that was understandable. It would happen. You would come into contact with uh, dead things, and there was a a process of purification for that that was stipulated in the law to take care of that. Uh, but uh, beyond that, uh, Nazarite vows specifically say. 
you are not allowed to touch anything dead, not even your dead mom, your dead sister, your dead relative. You are not allowed to touch them. Or you're breaking your Nazarite vow and you have to start all over. It's very, very strict. Okay? And so, as it, uh, it, it, and so, was it no, no grapes, right? No wine, no grapes. No, 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 no hair cutting and no dead stuff. The three big ones, all right? And uh, Samson apparently doesn't even think twice. And not only that, he takes it and then he gives it to his parents, not telling them where they got it from. Now, I've shared this story before, but I, um, when I moved to Mississippi, uh, we were in Carthage and I went to a men's breakfast and, uh, and we had all kinds of, uh, somebody brought all deer sausage. And a deer sausage. I never had deer sausage. I'm like, this is amazing. And so, and it was the good stuff. He'd gotten real complicated with it. He got like one got stuff with like cheese and jalapenos stuff like that. It was amazing. So I went out. So I went up to the guy. I said, I, one of the deacons who had brought it. I said, this this is amazing. I've never had this before. He said, he said, yeah. He said, I, you know, I was just uh, I was just driving down the road and there was a deer on the side of the road. He was like, and you know what? When I was driving back the next day, it was still there. So I got it. And I threw it in the back of the truck and took it to the processor. And I was sitting there going like, how do I pump my stomach? Like, uh, and I was just like, I was like, You've got, you need to put a sign, something, you know, like just let people know. <laughs> like, so, so, like, come on, man. So, so it, uh, it's important to know where, the, where your meat comes from. <laughs> so, and apparently in this case, to know where your honey comes from. Uh, but the secret sins of Samson uh, reveal his character, and they're going to out him in the end because he doesn't seem to care about his Nazarite vows. He doesn't seem to quite understand. He doesn't really seem to live faithfully uh, uh, by them. And so we have his secret strength. We have the secret of his sin. But then verses 10 through 18, we have uh, his secret riddle. Samson went down for his wedding, and we are told that uh, a 30 Philistine wedding companions suddenly appeared. And uh, as weddings uh, off, would often involve uh, uh, nice clothing and gifts, and uh, there also were uh, uh, easy targets, easy pickings for marauders. And so oftentimes the, uh, the bridal family would uh, provide uh, companions as basically kind of security. <laughs> for 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 the whole thing to make sure everything went down uh, well. Of course, it's kind of a two-sided nature to this because of the nature of the marriage and the fact that Samson is an Israelite. And so there is kind of a animosity between, uh, between Samson, of course, and these uh, 30 Philistines. And uh, while they're there, Samson proposes a bet and uh, says, you know, let's, let's make this whole thing a bit more interesting. And he, he's going to ask them a riddle. And if they can answer it, he will give them uh, 30 linens of, uh, linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. Uh, and essentially, uh, he's basically offering them 30 nice suits. That's basically what he's offering here. And, uh, uh, and and if they can't answer the riddle, then they each have to give him one. And so he'll have 30. So uh, so as one author said, you know, he'll, uh, Samson, uh, well, they'll either go away with, uh, with an extra nice change of clothes or Samson will have the best wardrobe in the country. All right? So uh, somebody's going to win. And they figure, hey, we've got 30 people, 30 brains, 30 minds. We can think on this, so why not? Let's go for it. So Samson puts his riddle to them, which uh, is a bit unfair. Uh, but uh, we've already established that it wasn't unknown that bees could nest in a carcass. So it's not 
impossible, although we could probably all agree that it's probably a pretty unfair riddle to ask. When I was thinking about it, it reminded me of the riddle uh, that in, in the book The Hobbit, where uh, um, Bilbo, the, he's, he's um, trying to escape these caves, and he runs into this creature, Gollum. And, uh, and in order to escape, uh, Gollum, uh, Gollum wants to play a game, so they play, they play a riddle game. Now, if Bilbo loses, he gets eaten. Uh, if, 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 but if he wins, then Gollum will show him the way out. And, and the way that he wins, they go back and forth, and the way that he wins, though, is he asks, uh, he asks Gollum, somewhat incidentally, what do I have in my pocket? And Gollum gets really angry, and he's, uh, he gets a couple of guesses. He, of course, he gets it wrong. Of course, what Gollum doesn't know is that uh, Bilbo had found Gollum's most prized possession, his ring. <laughs> and that's what he had in his pocket. So he could have guessed if he had thought of the thing that was most precious to him. But again, the riddle was uh, a bit unfair. Uh, but at the end of the day, you're rooting for Bilbo and you don't really care. So, <laughs> uh, and likewise, uh, we, don't really, we don't really mind Samson winning out here. But the men can't figure it out. So uh, they harass his, his bride-to-be, which in that day and age, even if you weren't, hadn't consummated the marriage, it was, she would still be referred to as your wife. And... Uh, they're, they're understandably frustrated, uh, as anyone who's tried to answer a riddle uh, can't get frustrated when you can't get the answer, especially when you put a bunch of money on the line. And so they threaten to kill her and her family uh, if she doesn't squeeze the answer out of her husband. And she presses Samson hard. He tells her. She tells the men, who then tell Samson. And so they, at the very end of the day, they come in with the answer, and they pretend like they came up with it uh, like, like a student cheating on a test, on a paper. Uh, you know, they come in trying to pretend like uh, passing off someone else's homework as their own. And uh, Samson immediately knows uh, what's gone on and what has happened, and he accuses the men of meddling with his wife. The whole scene is really odd. <laughs> when you think about the Bible and all the stuff we read in the Bible, riddles are not usually a part of this, uh, of what we read. But like the violence that uh, Samson showed the lion, we have here another preview of what is to come. Samson will do many things and frustrate uh, the Philistines and uh, be a thorn in their side and cause them great damage, actually. Uh, but, Samson, but, it, but we also have a preview of Samson's downfall in, in that he cannot say no to women. And that, uh, that a woman will be his downfall. Now, this doesn't say anything about women in general. It just says something about Samson's own personal character. Uh, and, and, but, we, but it does warn us. It does highlight that we need to watch our own vices. The things, that we, that, uh, things which we um, uh, prove our, have proven ourselves weak against. Uh, the, the things that open us up to the enemy. Uh, we need to examine ourselves. And uh, in those little areas where we find smaller moral failings, it's much better to deal with those moral failings when they're small before we are forced to deal with them because we didn't deal with them and enough time went by where they got big and they've done a lot of damage and wrecked havoc in our lives. And uh, uh, now finally we have uh, Samson's secret riddle. Uh, but that finally leads us to uh, the last secret Samson has for us today, which is his secret vengeance in verses 19 through 20. Samson, we are told, uh, says, okay, fine, I will fulfill my end of the bargain. Uh, I'm just going to go make a quick 
25-mile field trip uh, down to Ashkelon. That's 25 miles on foot <laughs> to Ashkelon uh, in a major city. It's a ma- one of the major uh, five major Philistine cities, uh, which would have been heavily fortified. And he goes in there and uh, kills 30 random guys and takes their clothes and then comes back and gives them as a fulfillment of his side of the bargain. Now, he, it, now the deal was 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes, but I think Sam's is saying, hey, y'all cheated, so I'm not paying you the full amount. So he gives them uh, these 30 changes of clothes. And the distance, some wonder why he didn't go. There were other towns that were closer, uh, but I think that uh, he probably went to a, a, distant, a bit of a distance so that way uh, he could execute his vengeance uh, without essentially causing a stink for himself nearby, near his hometown. Uh, David actually did something similar later on when he was on the run from Saul and he was serving the Philistines and he would go about uh, certain places and he would go and he would actually attack the Philistines and then come back and report and they say, where have you been? And he's like, well, I've been over here and over there, you know, just attacking and, and, and he would just imply, let them fill in the blanks that he had been attacking the Israelites when in reality he had been attacking the Philistines. But he fulfills his word. He gives the garments uh, to the men as promised, but he is furious and returns home. The marriage uh, is believed to be annulled at this point, and so Samson's bride is given to one of the companions, the one who had served as his best man. And now when I first was reading this, and I, um, I always have a... Uh, I have a text printed out that I work with when I'm doing my sermon prep, and, and I wrote, dirty. <laughs> like, they did him dirty. You know, they gave, it to his, gave her to the best man. What's going on there? Uh, but, uh, but apparently, that's actually a fair, uh, part, of the, part of the job of the 30 companions as well was, in case the bride was abandoned, that one of the men would actually marry her. <laughs> so that way, she was not without means and to be without being cared for and provided for uh, in society. So that was kind of the setup there. Uh, it's still odd, you know, <laughs> by today's standards, but it did make sense in the ancient world. And, and so we have all these secrets. Samson has many secrets that he keeps, but we also found out at the very beginning that the Lord has a secret that he's been keeping. And this is his secret deliverance that he is working through Samson for Israel. Now, uh, we need to understand that the, the, the killing of the men at Ashkelon is, the, is the, um, the climax of the story here. This is where all of this was leading. Now, it's not ultimately where it leads, uh, but this is where it was leading. Remember, at verse 4, the Lord was seeking an opportunity to use Samson against the Philistines. Uh, now, one might say, well, you know, Samson killing 30 random dudes in a large city doesn't really seem like, you know, big deliverance time. But remember, this chapter is not only a chapter of secrets, but it's also a chapter of previews of things to come. And while Samson's character will continue to be a problem, as he is a man who lives by sight, who lives by his emotions, who lives by his stomach, he will do greater things in the days to come. Samson's secrets point forward to the greater works that he will do as he begins to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. But we are reminded uh, here that this is not some grand master plan for Samson. This is the grand master plan of Yahweh, of the Lord, 
the one who is in control of all things. And so we don't need to despise the, the day of small beginnings, even if they are small deliverances. And we need to remember that while there's lots of secrets going on here, between God has a secret and Samson has lots of secrets, he's not telling people lots of stuff, that at the end of the day, God is not simply the keeper of secrets, but he is the revealer of mysteries. The Gospel of Mark uh, could be called the secret gospel because one of the key themes in the Gospel of Mark is what scholars call the messianic secret of Christ. The way that Jesus, Mark records Jesus over and over again, whenever he would perform a miracle, he would strictly, sternly instruct the person, don't tell anyone about me. Don't you tell them what I did. <laughs> and he, would, he, wanted his, he wanted his work to be secret. That was until he died. Until he was raised from the dead. And that, because once he was raised from the dead and ascended to heaven, the secret was out. And what was the secret? Well, it's what Paul referred to as the mystery of the gospel. Right? The secret that Jesus was, was protecting was, who is the Messiah? And what will he do when he comes? What will he be like? But ultimately, it was revealing the secret of the gospel. How would God re reconcile a people to himself? How would he deliver his people from their sins and give them a kingdom and to even, uh, even calling people that don't know him. And calling people that even would say they don't want to know him at first. As we noted earlier, God is the one who knows all things and works all things for our good and for his glory. This includes the good things and includes the bad things. It includes the righteous and generous acts just as it includes wicked and foolish acts. God is the one that is holding all the cards. God is the one who knows why all the things are happening, why it's happening, what's happening, and what will happen. These things are too much for us to know. They're too much for us to hold in our minds. So we must look to God and what he does reveal to us. There are times when God reveals, at least in part, why maybe this particular thing happened, why this thing happened over here. Sometimes he does. And, but even then, it's only a partial knowledge. But most of the time, we're left to wonder. Most of the time, we're left with questions. Why? Why? Why, why him and not me? Why did this happen? Why did that happen? Right? And we don't get answers. But at all times, we must look to what God has indeed revealed to us. There's nothing less than the gospel itself. That God has loved his people in this way. That he sent his only son to die for our sins and to be raised from the dead. That by believing in him, we would have eternal life. But whatever secrets we, we keep, we need to know that our God knows all things. We cannot hide anything from God. And so we need to be sure that we confess our sins to him. To seek as Christ commanded. Seek his kingdom. Seek his righteousness. But it may be that we feel as though God is keeping secrets from us. Because uh, there are things that we don't know. Especially the hard things that we want to know. Uh, especially the whys. Why did God let this happen? How will God work this out? for his good, for our good and for his glory. 
But what Samson displays for us here is the reality that God knows and that God will deliver uh, even, uh, even despite the secrets that men keep and the things that we do not know. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the revealer of mysteries, that one day all things will be brought into the light. And while in our creaturely understanding we cannot, we cannot comprehend your purposes in their fullness, we cannot understand the, the way that, that your purpose intersects with time and space and all of creation. For you are infinite and we are finite. You are the only God and we are your creatures and we live by your hand. And so, Father, we pray as, as sheep who belong to the great shepherd, Lord, that you would guide us, that you would lead us, that you would instruct us, and that where it is appropriate, you would reveal to us your purpose as we can comprehend it. But Lord, even if we don't understand what your purposes are in our lives for particular uh, difficult things, for hard realities, that we would always uh, cling to and know the, the purpose that you have revealed in your son, Jesus Christ, a purpose to, exp- to show your love, a purpose to redeem a purpose to bring comfort and hope, a purpose to bring glory and fullness, wholeness and peace when your kingdom comes. And Lord, we pray that we would know this, for you are the God who knows all things and ultimately will reveal your glory in your Son when he comes again. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.